Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Erin Suki. Erin is an experienced product owner who has worked in the Salesforce space for many years, including taking ownership of Salesforce at an enterprise level. Erin shares insight on the role of a product owner, how her career has evolved in this space, and some tips and advice around setting up a roadmap, understanding your customer, and building internal Salesforce capability. This was a really interesting episode and some really great insight from Erin around the role of a product owner. And I really hope you do enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. It has. It has. I'm really excited to be here, Ben. And thank you for your patience with my schedule. <laughs> my pleasure. Well, look, we've got a lot to run through in terms of the world of product and Salesforce and how they kind of align and, and meet. But let's look backwards and look at what you kind of did early in your career and before you even heard of the word Salesforce or what the ecosystem was. So what did your early career look like? Sure. Look, I've actually had some sort of a role in solving problems with the Salesforce platform for over 10 years now, since 2010. So I guess it was pretty early in my career that I found Salesforce. Before that, though, I'd worked in customer service, sales, like sales operations type roles. And alongside my Salesforce career, I've started two businesses and then gone on to specialize in product management. But yeah, I think it was pretty early in my career, actually. A few years kind of in call centers and then found my way here. So when you say Salesforce, you were always kind of solving problems with Salesforce. Were you initially on the business side as a Salesforce user and kind of took an interest in the platform? Or were you quite early into a Salesforce pure kind of admin role? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. And a lot of people's journeys play out the same way. So I joined a small team and they had just implemented Salesforce for the quarter team. And it was very bare bones, like had consultants come in and stand up the org. And so at that point, it was like I was kind of a change champion type function. But over time, I just kept making a lot of enhancement requests to the platform owner. Oh, can we do this? Can we do this? And eventually they were like, Erin, we're just going to make you an admin and then you can do it yourself. And so that happened like pretty quickly. And yeah, it kind of like in terms of the organizational structure, you know, you'd, I was in the business division, not the technology division, but I was a Salesforce administrator building workflows and, you know, all of that. Sure. And then from there, if we kind of focus on that Salesforce journey, where did you go from being an admin to, I guess, progression within Salesforce and the kind of roles that you've played over the years? Yeah, I sort of did my Salesforce journey twice. So once on a very small scale and then repeated at a much larger scale, but in the same organization. So, you know, I mentioned that sales team in 2010 and ended up eventually the system admin or platform owner when that person moved on and eventually had a team. I think we had four or five consultants at one point, developers and VAs and myself and a few other people internally. And then when the organization decided to implement Salesforce at the enterprise level across the entire organization, I was asked to join the product and technology division to do that. And that was in a VA type role, which I now call a product analyst versus a business analyst. We can talk about that as well. And then through that journey, I've played a whole host of roles across like sales, service, marketing, CRM kind of transformation, right? Which is more holistic, like platform strategy, legacy, CRM decommission. 
So, you know, business analyst, product analyst, um, what you might call a functional consultant. At one point, I was a functional designer, which was a title of my own making, which was like just short of saying solution architect, right? Because I didn't have the development background, but it was like, hey, you know, overarching accountability for how we're solving platforms in a declarative way on the platform, business architect. And then for the last like three and a half years, the product owner role, which I also would frame as like an internal product manager. Yeah. And, and in that, in my previous company wrote the first, you know, enterprise client engagement Salesforce strategy in 2018, obviously with a lot of input from, you know, a lot of experts and yeah, so kind of like run the gamut. Couldn't write it. Well, I probably could write a piece of code, but you know, nothing more than a couple of lines. Yeah, nice. So product ownership is obviously a passion of yours and something you, like you said, you, you've been heavily kind of embedded in that space for, for a number of years now and, and at an enterprise level. But did you know that role, that function was really a thing back in the day? And, and is that, was that a planned move into product ownership? Great question. I'm definitely no. So at first, a senior technology leader suggested it to me. And at that point, I I wasn't even sure what product ownership was. I thought it was like a senior stakeholder manager type role, you know, completely away from the day to day product team. It was about like budgets. And that's what I'd experienced anyway. And it really didn't appeal to me in that form. But after it was suggested, I thought, well, like maybe this is an opportunity for me and I better go figure out what this thing really is. And then I did that. And after that, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what I want to do. I think the appeal to me is being able to influence the direction of the team strategically. So Mm -hmm. I was incredibly frustrated when we were delivering feature after feature and, you know, had no real way to measure the value of that work. And were we even making a difference to the customer? What's the outcome? And I could see a lot of opportunities that I really wanted to chase with the team. And the PO role gave me that remit to have those conversations with stakeholders and business leaders and, you know, really challenge what we were doing and why and get really focused about the choices we were making in our roadmap. And it's interesting because you mentioned like you, you created the title functional architect or functional designer, I think you said. And job titles and titles across the ecosystem really do vary. But like if we look at the Salesforce world, the product owner role is becoming more I guess like we see it more regularly now and, and definitely at that more enterprise level, but we also see like platform manager as a title that, that people sometimes use um, interchangeably with product owner and platform manager. So what would your comment on that be? Like what, what is the real kind of pure responsibility of a PO and how does that compare to the platform manager role? Yeah. Okay. So I think there's a whole theory on this and it's something I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to dive deep and, you know, stop me if I'm nerding out too much. You know, I've actually never worked with a platform manager. I had to Google that one. You know, in my previous company, that role didn't exist in our structure. I think like over time, activities you might think of being played by that role or, you know, actually end up played across like in different roles. So like from product owners to scrum masters, lead engineers, environment managers, solution architects, like, you know, that kind of role has been absorbed. But I think that product ownership is really interesting and contentious. Like if you jump on Medium or LinkedIn, like there's constant battles about it. It means different things to different people. And the PO roles implemented differently in different organizations and also in different teams. And it's also completely dependent on the individual. You know, it's really open to interpretation. So I'm going to give you my like opinion and my experience, but like just there are many points of view on this. So the product owner role comes from Scrum. And Scrum's a framework methodology for agile software development. And the Scrum Guide doesn't say much about the role. You know, it says, um, I'll read it because it's a quote, the product owner is accountable for maximizing the value of the product, 
resulting from the work of the scrum team and how this is done may vary widely across organizations, scrum teams and individuals, like that's it. And then it kind of has a few key responsibilities, like you develop the product goal and you create an order of the backlog and you make the backlog transparent. But that's it, right? And the rest is open to interpretation. And the Scrum Guide doesn't tell you how to do any of this. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood roles in Scrum. But here's how I think about it now. And this is a pretty commonly made assertion. The product owner is the role on the Scrum team and the product manager is the job. So if you don't know how to do product well, if you don't know, you know, the skills, craft and competencies of managing your product, then managing a product backlog is, I mean, near impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some companies will have both a product manager and a product owner. Personally, I think that's dysfunctional. The PO then just becomes like the chief list writer or more like a BA. But for the sake of like today, as we're talking, when I, you know, I, I pretty much use the words interchangeably, you know, a product leader, product owner, product manager, kind of talking about the same kind of that product leadership in the team. Yeah. And so, you know, what I'm talking about here is that the craft of product management. So if your teams are running Scrum, then you'll also likely get a bonus title, product owner. And in large teams, like I, I've worked in large scopes, you, you delegate a lot, right? So that ordering the product backlog is a classic, you know, people think, oh, you're organizing JIRA lists. And maybe in a small team, you are. But depending on the scale, in my opinion, like the best product leaders never come anywhere near JIRA you know, relative to the team and the organization size and what they need. But like what I really do is try to create a space where, you know, I'm sharing as much as I can and empowering the team as much as I can and managing the tickets is the last thing we worry about. So if we bring that back to Salesforce then, you know, most commonly Salesforce is used internally. It's a product used by internal staff. So the product owner is the product manager of that internal product. Yeah, but in terms of the platform manager role, because I think people think they are the same in a lot of cases, but I think really my understanding now, based on what you've said, obviously a product owner is, you know, it's an agile environment. It, it kind of has to be an agile environment, right? It has to be in that kind of environment where things are done in an agile way, whereas a platform manager is probably very much focused on the platform and can be in a, an environment where there's just one or two people. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, adhering to any certain methodology or, or process. Yeah, I mean, I think like when you blend product owner, product manager, it's the same, right? So the product owner is a scrum role, but even without that, like when I've looked at platform manager descriptions, it talks a lot about, you know, delivery and making sure that the team is delivering in the right way, in the right place. It's a lot of people management and quality engineering. And it, it's kind of like an engineering lead in mm -hmm. a way. I think the difference then in terms of product, so that real product mindset is about you're really focused on creating that value. And I also, Marty Kagan, who is a wonderful industry product leader, and I'll talk about his book later on, you know, he articulates the product manager's purpose. And I think this is the same of product owners, which is managing like four really big risks. It's the value risk, whether the customers will buy it or whether they'll use it. Usability, can they figure out how to use it? Feasibility, can the engineers actually make it happen how long is it going to take and viability like is this going to work for our business and I don't think the platform manager like does any of that at all you know if I think about like the percentage of time that I believe a product owner product manager should be spending like with customers or users interviewing and really understanding what are their needs I don't see that reflected in any sort of platform manager role I don't know about you like what do you yeah I think that makes sense I think like a product owner to me seems like they're more 
I don't want to say embedded in the business, but they spend a lot of time with the business or or the customer, right? So when I think of Salesforce, I think of the business. And and yes, it can be like if it's communities or experience cloud, it it can be with external parties. But yeah, I guess they're spending a lot of time making sure that what is being built is actually what's right for the customer. Whereas maybe the platform manager is, yes, they are looking forward at, you know, how can we improve the platform for the business or the customer, but is very much looking at the technology and, you know, enhancing the technology to keep up with the business's roadmap rather than helping shape the business roadmap with the technology if that kind of makes sense yeah yeah I think so and I think like it depends to you know I mentioned we don't in in my last organization we didn't even have that but I think about like that how you are articulating that mindset I think of our kind of enterprise architects and you know they're really thinking about the platform and the capabilities from a tech perspective and then we match that with the ambitions of the business and like I kind of tread across both but I definitely would lean on people in those roles to inform the decisions we're making around you know what should we be doing differently or better with the platform yeah so I think you know both voices are important. So how does someone learn to become a product owner, like especially someone that's maybe coming from a Salesforce background and they, you know, we see that role of, you know, Salesforce admins want to then own a platform or a product and that they see that as potentially a progression if they stay with an end customer. But you you obviously have to know a lot about Agile and Scrum and, and you know, the nuances of, of running a project in that way or a, a product in that way, I should say. So how does someone go from, you know, not knowing how to, to be a product manager to being a product owner or product manager? Yeah. So I love this question. I'm going to do my best. I read a lot. So I'm going to throw a bunch of resources out there now and I can send you a list later if you want to kind of put them somewhere. But I believe that in order to get really good at product and really develop your product mindset, which is separate to that platform manager we were referring to, you've really got to reach outside of Salesforce and outside of Agile to get good at this. More recently, I've seen Salesforce, especially in Trailhead, and actually they've got them some new certifications where they're looking at user experience. And I think that's like starting to kind of nudge in the direction. But yeah, you really have to reach out. So here's some of my faves. Jeff Patton is an amazing product leader and he runs a course, Passionate Product Leadership. You can do that online now. Highly recommend it. Best course you can do if you're going to do an online course. He literally wrote the book on user story mapping. I think that's a really good foundational starting point. User stories are widely misused and this book will set you straight. I mentioned Marty Kagan before. So his book is called Inspired, How to Create Tech Products Customers Love. Some really good, you know, detail around that real product mindset and product discovery and understanding your users and then like good leadership. The other thing I think to be successful, especially in a big enterprise, but I'm sure this would be useful in other tech businesses as well, is you've got to get really good at like leadership and prioritization and like have a really thick skin. So a few things on that. This book's called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCown. Highly recommend that for like- I saw that one. Yeah, it's, it's great. Thanks for the feedback. This is great. Everybody has feedback, Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen, and it just helps you- you know, navigate feedback that you receive when you give it, working with others and teams. As a product owner, you're getting feedback all of the time, right? From your team, from stakeholders, from the customer. So that's something that you've got to get pretty good at navigating. Otherwise, it can be a pretty uncomfortable role if you're not good at that. And the latest on leadership I read, Turn the Ship Around by Daily Market. Amazing agile coach recommended that. Changed my life. I'm sure it changed the life of the teams I was working with as well. So that those... 
And then the other thing is like, genuinely, like you've got to study empathy. I, I joke about this all the time. Like I had to learn empathy, right? Obviously not in my personal life, but you know, at work. And I think one of the really good ways to do that is to get a really good understanding of like design fundamentals, design thinking. So a couple of good entries into that is Lean UX by Jeff Gothel and Josh Seiden. This is a good one, Lean UX. And Sprint, this is such a fun book to read. So Sprint by Jake Knapp. He was at Google Ventures and they pretty much invented this five-day design sprint process where they were testing. They go from like zero to testing an idea in five days. So I think like if you got through that or even just started to start with Sprint, it might start to give people like a bit of a flavour for like what that role really means or what I think it should mean anyway if you prefer shorter reads I have an amazing friend mentor coach Anthony Murphy he writes prolifically on product on medium so you can get some kind of like good short and sweet content there so there, obviously there's a lot to that of like empathy and, and how you think and how you receive feedback and things like that so it seems to me there's a lot of skills that go into this that aren't technology focused, which is obviously a very interesting point and a very valid point, because I think a lot of people really do focus on the technology in the Salesforce ecosystem. And, you know, they're on trailhead and they're learning and, and doing badges and certifications. But do you think someone can just come in from the business, perhaps, or from left field and be a product owner in the Salesforce world without knowing the technology or, or without you know, venturing into that world of technology? I am going to answer that question directly but I'll go on a little tangent first. I think that like the thing with this role is that everybody around you has different expectations. So, you know, engineers are going to have expectations of you, designers, customers, executives, you know, stakeholders and your engineering leadership as well. So I think that it could be intimidating for someone to come in with just business knowledge because those expectations exist and so you know you'll have to find a way to kind of manage those and hopefully be supported to be successful and I think you know there's a couple of other elements you know you've got the, the technical platform knowledge and then your business SME type knowledge but then you know I've been banging on about product leadership and, and design and you know that's kind of if I was going to rate it it depends on the team but I'd say go you need the product first and then you can work through the others. Having said that, you could learn that. So, you know, I was mentoring someone recently who came in as a business SME. I was like, I'm in this role. What does it mean? And I'm like, you know, what is your team saying it means? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all of that. But also this, you know, you got to think about strategically what this roadmap looks like. How are you guys thinking about this? And you can learn this. I did. I learned it on the job. So I'm not saying that, like, you couldn't be successful in the role. I just think to be very successful in the role you will have to invest in your learning and education in these areas in terms of product I think across the board right no matter what you've got to be a good decision maker that is kind of a universal expectation so how can you become a good decision maker in that environment I think is completely dependent on the environment the people around you so you know if you're in a small team and you only have for example this is where I started like four or five Salesforce developers and you you know maybe you don't really need a knowledge of the platform though you probably do because a lot of the time Salesforce people will come from like a consulting background or from another business and they understand the tech but they don't understand it in the context of the industry but then in that case you're going to want to have that business knowledge or at least have experience in terms of like getting that information, stakeholder management and working with, you know, workshop and that kind of thing. 
And so I, I would say like early platform knowledge could be absolutely essential. I think as the team or the organization grows, I think if you've got a contentious sort of delivery implementation, this happened in our early days, we didn't have a lot of buy-in across the organization for some of the capabilities we were building. In that case, like a business SME or business exec or stakeholder that has some clout can really help navigate those treacherous waters, you know, with stakeholders and getting the buy-in. And ultimately end goal, I think you've got to have that real product leadership. So if you can afford it, for me, like the ideal team is that triangle of product design and engineering. The product owner is heavy in the product and business space. And then you need a cross-functional team where you've got design, so user experience and your engineers. So whether that's developers, functional integration, you kind of architect types. And if you have that ideal team, then you can do anything really. And in that context, you definitely don't need the platform knowledge because you've yeah. got people. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, if we look at the customer, and I guess the customer can differ between companies and, and roles and, and what you're building, I guess. But how do you really understand what the customer needs? And is it different if they're internal and external? Like, uh, how do you really yeah, deliver that role? And I guess in your last role, you would have had both internal and external customers that you were responsible for delivering a product for. So um, how do you attack both angles? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that like, I think even as I left my last role, we were still kind of my team and I were kind of playing with how to articulate this in a way that made the most sense. You know, every product team should be able to define. And when I say product team, you know, other people might say, oh, is that a scrum team? Like, yeah, yes, if, if they're running scrum and they're working on a product, same thing, you know, they should be able to define and articulate who their customer is. But in the large enterprise, in a Salesforce team, like you have to hold it lightly because it, it means different things in different contexts. You know, a lot of what we do in design and build, we refer to the customer, but that's often the user of the product and employee. They're not the ones paying the bill. So, you know, mm -hmm. who's the customer really? I think about it in sort of concentric circles. It's not a hierarchy, but if you've got the end client and then you might have like intermediaries or partners and you have your employees and you've got, I call them lowercase stakeholders. So your managers and senior managers, and then like your executive stakeholders and, you know, who is the customer in all of this? you know, depending on the context, all of them and any of them at any one time. So, you know, for my teams, when we're doing work on the internal product, I try to get them to think about that end customer. Like, yes, we're building a product for an internal team, but why? You know, it's got to work for them from a prioritization perspective day to day, like what features are we going to build? We have to look at what's most valuable for that user. But we also have to think, but what are they actually trying to achieve? Or, and you've got to constantly have that end customer in mind as an organization, you know, strategically, that's who we're delivering the outcome for. If you lose sight of that, it can get pretty messy. That's so interesting. Like I've never really thought of it like that. And um, maybe that's why I'm a recruiter and not involved in, in this world. But like, I, I, cause when I, when I hear people think of the user or, you know, you, the user experience and, you know, how, how they build something to benefit the the user, I never really like, yes, I understand like they want the, the fields to be a certain way and, you know, they want least amount of clicks possible and things like that. But ultimately yeah, it's the person that's on the phone to that user with a service request that actually, you know, is the customer. So it's about delivering a good user experience for the person making the clicks, but ultimately it's also about saving time on the phone for the person at the other end that's calling in with the issue. That's right. That's right. And so it's like, you know, we talk about Salesforce product owner and it's like, if you can take a step back from a little bit like this and like, so my job title hasn't been Salesforce product owner for a while now, you got to think about kind of 
what's the capability that you are owning or what's the outcome that you're delivering and so you might call that I don't know like sales or you know customer service or whatever it is and that's underpinned by the Salesforce platform sure but that customer experience end-to-end is delivered through you know all of those layers whether it's technology or through to that human that's answering the phone and that's the real Mm -hmm. kind of product or value that we're delivering to the customer it gets simpler though like when you bring in say like with Salesforce Experience Cloud and it's something that I've spent the last kind of 18 months to two years on launching I think like three three digital products built on Salesforce Experience Cloud now and that's like your pure digital product management right external customers partners interacting with the digital product and that's no different to any other digital product or web app it's just the technologies underpinned by Salesforce yeah yeah it's interesting and and I guess so. So your role does it change? Like I guess you know how you might gather the requirements or, or gather the real need of the customer does change if it's internal or external. But in terms of the means of getting that information, how, how do you typically go about that with like someone that's external? Yeah, does it change? Like yes. So obviously the nature of the interaction is different, but the practice and the process should be relatively similar. So if you think about like how you build a roadmap, you know how would you actually make these choices and it, you know, it all comes down to like, what's the vision for the product? You know, what's the strategy? And then ultimately the roadmap and the strategy is that kind of translation layer. And so how do we go into understanding what's important? What that's called is product discovery. And that's this process whereby you're trying to reduce uncertainty around what it is we're going to do, like how we're going to solve these problems. And it's really about making sure we build the right thing for the right audience to have the biggest impact, Right. And that's going to give you confidence. So it's about like deeply understanding your users or customers and their pain points. So one of the frameworks that we've been using for a while, but I've been banging on about it a lot, is the jobs to be done framework, which is effectively a framework to understand customer needs. And you should be applying this to your internal customers and your external customers. And so what the jobs to be done framework is about is that there's this quote from Theodore Levitt and he's talking about they don't want to buy a quarter inch drill they want a quarter inch hole yeah and so you know people are going to buy products and services to get a job done so when I'm talking about internal users with my teams I'm like well what's the equivalent of buying a product it's using it right it's using Mm -hmm. it we could ship a million features and that sales team like never never uses them so you know we need to make sure that we're building a product that's actually getting that job done and so what that framework does is help you identify like what are all the unmet needs, you know, and, and you know, what are the segments and how we can actually conceptualize this and then you can get into like prioritization frameworks. And so that involves, you know, research. So whether that's, you, you can survey, you can kind of scratch the surface, but it's a lot of talking to people, right? So for external customers, it's like a little bit more formal, depending, you know, you, you schedule an interview, we do a Zoom like this, you know, there's a framework, we've got UX designers, but I, I do the interviews as well. And you, you know, have a conversation with them, just try to understand, you know, them more deeply. And then you can move into usability testing, like, hey, if I showed you this or this, well, you know, same internally, it's just easier because they're next to you, right? Yeah. But you should be having those same conversations, like, tell me about your day, like, what's this like? Oh, that's really interesting. You know, one of the teams, you know, in my last role, we got to a point where like we were meeting with our customers who were internal users, like twice every second day, you know. And the team were prototyping, getting feedback, prototyping, getting feedback and developing that certainty. And that's exactly how we should be building, you know, digital products externally as well. So the, the craft kind of goes internally and externally. 
I mean, one of my biggest learnings is like, just, just don't get a bunch of people in a room and get them to write down requirements because it's that whole thing. Like if, I, what, what, if there's another quote, it's like, if I asked them what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. You've got to really apply these kind of skills and competencies, even with internal users. Right. And it can be hard too. Right. Because internal users, they do know best. They do know best. They are the SMEs. They are living it every day. That's what I'm saying. Like you've got to really learn empathy and really like take the time to, to bring those internal customers and the development team closer together so that, you know, they're sitting on the same side of the table. It's not this kind of warring like faction, but yeah, it, it can be hard. I've had times where the team's like, oh, we're going to implement tasks because the user said they want tasks. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't like what's the problem we're looking to solve here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they just really want tasks. And if we, yeah. it, you know, then I'd be happy. And I'm like, mm, let's like take some steps back. So yeah, it's the same. It's the same. So you, you've kind of spoken about how you build the roadmap and what goes into that and uh, having the vision, the strategy, and then obviously executing on that. But when would it ever change? Because I imagine that's a lengthy process setting a roadmap. Like, ah. Yeah. At what point do you say, you know, this isn't going as we expected or is it just a case of like COVID hits, therefore something comes up and we need to adapt and, and change our plan? Any investment that you're going to put into producing a roadmap, like just don't go more than six months ahead. You can have like a high level, like, you know, we think we're going to do this, this, this and this, but, but hold it lightly. And you definitely don't want to invest in any sort of detailed thinking about things that are more than six months away. Because genuinely, we just don't even know what's going to happen then. You call it like mm -hmm. the, con the cone of uncertainty. And it's kind of like at the beginning, it's here. And then as you, you know, you get more and more refined. So if you were kind of going to develop a strategic roadmap, what you would want it to do is like upfront, it can be known. But as it progresses, it's going to look more and more like choices and things that kind of would spread out more like a branch system. So what that means is that, you know, you can change at any point depending on learnings in any one day. I say that to the team all the time, right? You know, we're struggling to make a decision in this moment and it's like, is this a big decision? Can we recover from it? If we learn something new tomorrow, can we change? If yes, like, okay. So let's do that because you just can't predict what's coming ahead. Like COVID, right? Like, you know, we have to stop work on a whole bunch of initiatives and rapidly spin up, you know, solutions that, the changing market demanded you know on the fly so you have to be prepared to pivot so I would say like when does it change it depends right because so you can have different layers of roadmap high level strategic all the way down into like the team and it could change in reality you're probably not altering it more than once a fortnight in reality and the big level stuff like more not more than once a quarter the key, I believe, is to focus on a more objectives-driven roadmap. So you don't want to get into like, this is the feature, this is the feature, like solution-y. You want to go like, well, here's what we're trying to achieve strategically and what are the objectives and what are the milestones to get there? Let's focus on this objective and give the team the, the authority to you know figure out the best way to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, now, my next couple of questions are very much Salesforce related because I know you've been in quite, like the, you know, the market's growing and um, enterprise environments are becoming more frequent and uh, and more regular but you have worked in a truly enterprise salesforce environment and also it's it, you you in a quite a unique position because you were with that business for a long period of time so you've seen it go from not being an enterprise platform to an enterprise platform how did that journey unfold in terms of like was it business unit one by one because i imagine there's a lot of competing interests and a lot of um, stakeholders that are wanting different things 
how do you best go from you know building a, a platform that is going to be enterprise grade yeah it's a good question and it's been interesting i was reflecting on this and i think like in hindsight you can just see like it's quite organic how it's evolved so like day one you know you start with okay there's a really specific use case so we did that and then at the same time there was emerging use cases in like the servicing space and once you get kind of more that central client service and client data crm party management kind of centralized it just really unlocks a lot of other capabilities across the business. So I think that that's how it kind of evolved organically. In the early days, though, it was pretty tough because, you know, we had very finite resources and we didn't, yeah, it, it, it was hard to figure out like what's actually going to, you know, get us moving in the right direction. Whereas now what we got to is like dedicated teams organized around capability aligned to each of the business areas so that, you know, and a central governance so that we don't mess up the platform. That's very easy to do. So, you know, central engineering, technical governance and enough coherence or at least communication between people driving the strategy for the business channels, but then the benefit of like autonomy and dedicated capacity to run really fast. And so that's how like over time it evolved. And we couldn't have done that without obviously success and getting buy-in and, and then growing. I think if you stay too long, like with just a small team trying to solve a lot of problems, it becomes like very like feature factory where you're just like yep. churning out, you know, features and wondering whether it's even doing any good. Yeah, nice. And and then that uh, nicely takes me to my next point, which is building a team. And in the Salesforce world, like you have over the last couple of years built a big internal team and, and capability. I, a couple of angles, like why that rather than just outsourcing to partners? And, and then also, what did you learn along that journey of building internal capability? The reason I was so passionate about that was that I feel the dangers of the consultancy model with Salesforce in the enterprise. And there's this kind of waterfall of information flow where you've got like someone up front figuring things out, then the solution architect, and then they hand it over to the developers and then the engineers and this, and you end up this kind of model. But what it doesn't then speak to is the ongoing support of the platform in production and for the life of the customer. It's very project-based and it doesn't really work where, you know, you have to balance things that are like building new features, running and also just stability and ongoing operational kind of improvements, things like our CI, CD pipeline and change management and, and that sort of thing. So for me, that internal capability became, you know, really critical because we needed people that were going to buy into the journey, would own their part of the platform. And I mean, like, either, you know, engineers in the team and, you know, I'm like, you own this, guys. This is your product. You should be proud of it. You support what you build. You know, if you ship something, you know, you want to make sure that it's, it's quality and the users are working with it and you're accountable for it. And you don't get that in the consultancy model. On the other hand, like, I don't worry so much about where the people come from, right? So, you know, if you look around in the industry, it's quite difficult to recruit firms in the Salesforce space. Don't worry about where you get people from, but just focus on the right people in the right roles. So, you know, in the teams, you can have people that, yeah, come from your traditional consultancies or maybe they're contractors or maybe their agency or maybe their firm. It doesn't matter as long as the team is operating in a way that, you know, the model is embedded. We, you know, people call it DevOps, but it's, it's more than that. It's like, you know, production support and feature delivery and, you know, uh, DevOps and all of that in the one team. So that's why internal versus consultancy. Yeah. 
that is an interesting concept because I see that like that we we now have these like long term contractors that are with companies for you know years and are being paid that daily rate and it does, that you know the the whole concept of why don't people just offer a permanent salary around that market kind of when someone is with the company for a long time it kind of would make more sense but I guess um, companies feel the risk of having someone on the salary sheet annually where they're paying out a substantial amount with a contract that they feel they can kind of let them go as and when needed. Yeah. Yeah. More and more I'm finding, I think COVID and just the uncertainty, right, in, in work, I'm feeling more and more people are willing to sign up for perm roles, even accepting potentially a, a, an income drop, especially when they believe in the work, when it's a really good team environment where they love to come to work every day. Maybe they've worked on other projects and they're like, you know what, this is a good place and I'm, I'm happy to kind of make a stand here, which is great. I think the other reason, like, it's so important to have that internal capability is you know we are the business so unlike in consulting where you know you have a statement of work and you know if you do what they wanted even if it doesn't work hey you did what the statement of work said in the internal salesforce practice like if if the solution doesn't work even if it's what they said they wanted like we're at fault so it's more about that joint like you know all the time people in the team will be like oh we have to ask the business i'm like we are the business yeah if what you're saying is there's a context that you don't have and you need to understand it more deeply, let's go talk to someone. But I think like that mindset is really different. It takes a long time to, to shift people that have been career kind of consultants and contractors, but it makes mm -hmm. a huge difference in the quality of the product and the genuine care for the customer and, you know, the outcomes at the end of the day. We've referred to your previous company. So, um, you know, people that are at this point in the podcast might be wondering, you know, what your situation is now. So what is next for you? What's your position in terms of you've left somewhere and, and you're, you're moving on? And, and why have you made the decision not to continue down that kind of Salesforce product ownership route? Yeah. So I think for me, like this is really about stepping towards something, right? So I've been banging on about like the craft of product management. I really want to focus more on that and focus more on digital products organizations looking to leverage a product-led growth strategy. I believe in building like beautiful, elegant solutions that solve real customer problems and, and deliver on real business outcomes. I'm just really passionate about this right now. And I want to create a space for myself where I can focus more deeply on this and share, share what I've learned and, and learn from others. And for me right now, it means, yeah, I step away from Salesforce and also, you know, from the large enterprise but it doesn't mean forever. Like I anticipate that, you know, more and more organizations, especially with my, you know, recent experience with the experience cloud and, you know, we're actually building digital products using Salesforce now. So I'm sure that that experience and knowledge is going to come in handy, you know, throughout my career. But yeah, I'm going into consulting. So I am joining a growing specialist consultancy called Product Rocket, and they specialize in product management and user experience design. And I'll be going into different clients in the digital product space and helping them, yeah, like launch, pivot, iterate new products and develop their product practice, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, nice. Well, congratulations. And obviously, I'm excited for you, but hopefully one day we'll see you uh, in and around the Salesforce ecosystem again. But for anyone that's listening that is intrigued or has taken note of the books you've mentioned, but is kind of interested in hearing more about the steps you've taken or, or your journey or just some advice, where's the best place for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there, connecting with people in the product community and all over. And I've had some amazing, you know, coaches, mentors, and people that have supported me in my career. And I am 
really keen to give back as much as I can. So anybody that wants to reach out, happy to make the time. And I'm hoping to do a bit, bit more writing and, and speaking in the next kind of year or so as well. So you might see me on, you know, Medium and, and you know, potentially some conferences and things. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the new role. And yeah, thank you very much. I'm sure our audience will really enjoy that. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for having me. It was awesome to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.